I'm Steve McLeod and this is Bootstrapped. It's a podcast for people running bootstrapped software companies or wanting to run one. I run two bootstrapped software products, Feature Upvote, which lets your customers vote on ideas to improve your product, and Sabre Feedback, which offers a feedback widget you can add to your website. Follow along as I learn from talking to other bootstrappers and experts, and just maybe you'll learn something too. Joining me today is Laura Roder, founder of Meet Edgar and Paperbell. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Laura, tell us a little bit about yourself and your bootstrapping endeavors. Yeah, so I am kind of a serial entrepreneur. I've been working for myself my whole working life. I started out as a freelancer doing web design, and then I moved into doing online courses. I was kind of an online course pioneer. I started doing that in 2007, where you had to build everything yourself. You don't have all these amazing (laughs) platforms like we have now. And I launched my first SaaS business, which was Meet Edgar, in 2014. And then I launched my newest SaaS business, Paperbell, in 2020. It's all been bootstrapped. I actually did have one business that I raised some money for and ended up shutting down a few months after we launched. If you want to Google startups for the rest of us, I have an interview there where I tell that story. So I was like, I don't want to raise money. I kind of got in a situation where I had to raise money. And then I was like, I hate this. I'm never doing this again. And then I went back to bootstrapping. Okay. I will look up that startups for the rest of us episode <laughs> and put in the show notes. I think I must have listened to it. And I'm only now realizing that you and that person are the same person. Uh, 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 yeah. I guess there's more than not, not many Laura Roders in this universe. <laughs> okay, so tell us about Meet Edgar. I, I've read a little bit about it and, and have encountered it before. And I mm-hmm. noticed that you claim on your own profile that it's bootstrapped, profitable, and proud. Tell yeah. us about that. Why, why you've yeah. got the bootstrapped path. Yeah, so Meet Edgar is a social media scheduling tool uh, specifically for small businesses, entrepreneurs, freelancers, usually the business owner is the one doing the social media. And that's really who we build for. And that's tied in with the bootstrapping part because my whole history is in the small business world. I've never worked at a big company. I've never had big companies as clients. Uh, It's just really not a world I know. And beyond that, I really, really, really love working with small businesses. And when I say small businesses, I mean a lot of one-person businesses, very small businesses. You know, I am very passionate about entrepreneurship, the idea that someone with, you know, no formal training can just go out there and start a business and make great money and really shape their lifestyle the way that they want is very inspiring to me. And I think those values really go along with being a bootstrap company because you know, sometimes people will say, everyone has a boss. I don't have a boss. I really feel <laughs> like I do not have a boss. I have a team that I certainly have made commitments to, you know, that I feel responsible to. I'm not just going to like say like, okay, I shut down the business and you guys see you later. Peace out, you know? So I do have a team that I'm a part of, but we at Meet Edgar, no one pays more than $49 a month. It's not like we have big 
clients that we do custom work for, you know, and we don't have any investors that we have to shape the business for. If I say, okay, we're making this decision and we know it's going to lower revenue for a year or we're okay with it for this reason, then I just have the power to do that. And that's something that I really love about bootstrapping. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. So some people would say that every customer is in a way your boss and you have mm-hmm. what 5,000 plus customers. So you have yeah, 5,000 yeah. bosses. <laughs> but yeah, the good news about having 5,000 of them is that we can lose any one of them. You know, so the reason I would say that I don't have 5,000 bosses is because, yeah, if a customer is demanding a feature that we don't have or a customer is demanding, you know, that they need to be able to text us for support, we can just say, sorry, we don't offer those things, you know, go go find a better fit for you. And we're able to to make that decision and not have it hurt the business. Every time a customer quits, I feel a little bit hurt. Are you not like that <laughs> even a little bit? No. Wow. I'm actually not. I don't take it personally because, you know, I feel like it's, we offer functionality, right? It's, you're not using the software because you want to hang out with me. You're using the software because you need (laughs) to get your social media marketing done, right? So if they, for whatever reason, find another tool that's a better fit for them, or um, weirdly, our customers often just go back to doing things manually and decide they don't want to use the tool. I just feel like, you know what? It's up to you to make the best decision for your business. And we have a lot of people that do find us a good fit. Uh, great answer. Hey, our audience often likes to know a bit about the size of the business of the person talking. I already mentioned that you have 5,000 plus customers. That is accurate. Mm-hmm. That is accurate. Yeah, we're yeah. 5,000 plus customers, a few million ARR. Okay. And a team of, well, judging by your website, I counted 13 people. Is that yeah. accurate? Yeah, okay. it is. Yeah. And they're remote, it seems to me, because some of them mm-hmm. seem to be in various parts of the US and Canada and you're not. You're in... I'm in the UK. Yeah. And I actually am not really involved. Like one of the reasons I started Paperbell is because I'm not really involved in the day-to-day of Edgar which you know, because you emailed me and said, hey, do you know that you're a feature upvote customer? And I said, no, that's really cool. I'm glad to hear that. So yeah, so we have a president that runs the company. We have a leadership team that runs the company. So I still, you know, I'm in Slack. I'm meeting with the president of the company usually every week. So I'm still somewhat involved, but I'm really, I'm not doing any execution work. I'm not involved with the day-to-day. Uh, Paperbell, my new business, which at this point is just my husband and I, doing everything. He's building it. I'm doing kind of the marketing business side. That's where I spend my time now. I am completely jealous that you've managed to extricate yourself from the day-to-day running of a of a bootstrapped business. Well, if there was a playbook on how to do that, I want it. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, I'll figure out how I did it and I'll write a book about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you'll find time somehow. Uh, so Paperbell <laughs> is just the, the two of you, you and your husband, and I guess you're using uh, Meet Edgar Profits to help with the bootstrapping or are you doing um, trying to do it purely just like from what's... I don't know. What's pure bootstrapping? I don't even know what that means. But. Yeah, right. I mean, that's that's a good topic too, because Edgar, you know, was bootstrapped. But to give context to that, I used a lot of money from my course business to fund Edgar, which I think is important to bring up because, you know, a, a lot of people would compare themselves and say, wow, you grew Edgar really fast. And it's really not fair to compare, you know, having $100,000 to spend to having, okay, a customer paid me 10 bucks. Now I have 10 bucks. So, uh, with Paperbell, at this point, actually, we have put in pretty much just our time. We've spent, you know, some 
minor money on the things we need to spend money on. But we're kind of figuring that out now. Are we willing? They, honestly, I, I want to invest money in it and I know I should, but it's, it's difficult to, to make that decision, especially because we had a good launch. So we do have, right now we have a few thousand in ARR. So it's like enough that we can just play with that few thousand, but mm-hmm. obviously we could grow a lot faster if we put more money in. So I'm figuring that out right now. I like constraints. It makes it easier to make businesses. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like a good constraint. It's like, let's mm-hmm. just spend the money that it's earning. Did we say what Paperbell was? I don't think we did. What's Paperbell? So Paperbell is for coaches, and that means business coaches, life coaches, not football coaches. And it's a tool for online coaches to run their business. So that means scheduling, billing, client management, having one tool where you can go and run your coaching business. And why why are you trying to do a second business? (laughs) (laughs) I know, classic, classic mistake. Yeah, so... My, I had a lot of different reasons. So with Edgar, like I said, I, I had worked myself out of the day to day, which was a big goal of mine. Another big reason for me, probably kind of surprisingly, was being in a different location. So with Edgar, the team is all in the US and we have one person in Canada. So even though we've always been remote, we've never had an office, we've always been kind of a synchronous type of remote instead of an asynchronous type of remote, meaning we have a lot of calls with each other. We're not like base camp where it's like, I'm going to write up this document and you're going to read it the next morning and you're going to do your work and you're going to write up a document. That's just, that's never been the culture of our business. That's never been how I like to work either. We all work, people aren't working at night. Everyone just works normal business hours. So when I moved to the UK about two years ago, I saw that I really didn't, I wasn't really enjoying having a business where everyone else was together and I was far away, not in the same hours. So that was another part of my decision where I'm like, okay, it's, it's a good time to start my next SaaS and I need the next thing to really be based in Brighton slash UK slash Europe. I haven't figured out exactly how wide that's going to be yet, but I, I like working with people live. Yeah. It doesn't have to be in person, but I like working with people live. So I, I want a company that does that. That's fascinating. Uh, I'm going to inject myself a little bit into this uh, this discussion. I got stuck in Australia this year for six months because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Right, we're there mm-hmm. on holiday, couldn't get home, and my team's here in more, more or less in the uh, European Western European time mm-hmm. zone. And I was exactly in that situation you described, where they were all able to communicate synchronously, and I, I couldn't because of the time yeah. zone difference. And I didn't like it. I really didn't like it. So I really understand where you're coming from there so nice to be able to communicate with people live uh whether it's via chat or video calls or yeah yeah completely understand um laura moving on i want to tell the audience about when i first encountered you it was the business of software conference in london in 2018 Mm. do you remember that conference i remember that conference because my daughter was born in june 2018 I think the conference was in May 2018, <laughs> and I was a speaker. So yeah, as you can imagine, I was I was very pregnant while I gave that talk. I remember asking for a chair to be on stage. I don't think I I think I ended up doing it standing, but I'm like I definitely need a chair because I don't know if I can stand up for an hour right now. Indeed, I rewatched the video of that uh, of that talk just uh, last week, and the chair was there the whole time, and I don't recall you sitting <laughs> on it. Actually, the talk stuck in my mind for three reasons. One is 
what we just mentioned. I think you had uh -huh. a much higher difficulty level than many of the other speakers. <laughs> Number two is the name of the product, Meet Edgar. I remember at the time thinking, this is marketing brilliance because I will never forget that name. Uh, is there an Edgar? Was there an Edgar? I guess you're getting sick of being asked this question, but did you just pluck the name out of the ear? The, the story with the name is that, you know, I'm sure a lot of listeners will identify with when, when you're kind of in the early idea stages, you have these projects that you're working on and you have to call them something, right? You have to refer to them as something, whether it's like just in your code base or when you're chatting with people. So my husband and I, he also built um, Meet Edgar. We created that together, just like Paperbell. We had a few ideas that we were kicking around. So for whatever reason, we would call them old-fashioned names. Names. No offense to any young Edgars out there. You know, in the UK, it sounds like sort of a, a grandpa name. So he called it Edgar. So that was just kind of like the internal little project name. And then when it got to the point where we're like, okay, this is going to be a real thing. We're going to launch this. What, what's the brand going to be? What's the name going to be? We came up with all these startup-y social media brands. And I'm like, I just don't like any of these names. And I'm like, people always remember Edgar. Because when I would tell a friend about it, they'd be like, what's it called? And I'm like, well, Edgar, that's not the name. Don't remember that. You know? uh, and they remembered <laughs> that, even though you told them not to. Reverse psychology, right. perhaps, without you realizing it. So I'm like, wouldn't it be kind of fun if we just called it Edgar and we could call the tool him and he's doing your social media for you. So that's, that's how we ended up with Meet Edgar. I like it. It makes me think of, of a butler. You said like a, a, a grandfather. Uh -huh. but, so that was uh, the second reason why the talk stuck in my mind. And the third reason is uh, it, it came across as a spirited defense of bootstrapping. That's what I recall. Mm -hmm. And at the time, mm -hmm. I was one year into Feature Up Vote, which we had bootstrapped. And I remember like some of the talks, I, I enjoy them, but they're not speaking to me. Whereas your talk mm -hmm. really spoke to me as a bootstrapper. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember that particularly... You talked about some things that you can do differently and, in fact, must do differently when you're a bootstrapper. And I want to talk for the rest of today's um, episode about one thing in particular, demo videos. Mm. Mm. <laughs> you tweeted recently <laughs> about this too, that you don't do one-on-one -on -one demos and you were surprised yeah. to learn that most other SaaS founders actually do. Tell us mm. about that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm in the early days of paper. So we launched, you know, we're recording in August, Paperbell launched in May. We were able to have a great launch because we used this audience that I've built up, you know, over the last 10 plus years. So we actually got 300 paying customers at our launch, which was great. But after that, I'm like, okay, how do I get the next? It's, it's interesting because even though I had 300, which was amazing and, you know, gave us MRR, after that, I was kind of where everyone else is when they uh -huh. start. It's like, okay, that was nice, but then what about the next person? How do I how do I get them right? So I'm thinking about what my strategies are going to be. So I start kind of looking around, and I'm realizing that the way most staff business owners are getting their early customers for sure is they're doing demo calls and they're doing sales calls and they're you know finding people who are a little bit interested and then they're convincing them via a one-on-one -on -one call, they should become a customer. So that was just really interesting to me because I'm like, you know, it makes you think, oh, if everybody's doing this, this is what I should be. I should be doing too. But, you know, for me, Edgar, I really don't remember doing any demos. And I haven't done any for Paperbell either. And I have a lot of reasons. But one reason is, you know, I'd rather focus my time on strategies that 
I can continue to scale and continue to build. And in both of these businesses, we have a very low price point. We don't have the type of business where we get a customer and then we have lots of expansion revenue. That's not the model. So I'm like, if it's a, you know, 50-ish a month price point, I can't scale this business doing one-on-one sales calls. The math just doesn't work out. So even if it's going to take longer to build up my SEO or build up my content marketing, I'd rather be doing that from day one. So I find myself on the same side as you in this thinking, which doesn't actually make for a very interesting conversation. So I'm going to play (laughs) devil's advocate a little bit here and say some reasons why I think, well, why other people say you should give Mm -hmm. one-on-one demos. Mm -hmm. If you don't do it, your competition will. I mean... Not in my case. So, you know, it depends on your competitive landscape, right? So, so we talked about Meet Edgar's case. So your big competitor yeah. is Hootsuite. Uh, you've that's mentioned. true. So do they, exactly. do, do they do these types of things? You're right. That's a much better example because we are. it is a very crowded competitive landscape for Meet Edgar. You know, Hootsuite and I assume Buffer, if you're going on their higher price business plan, yeah, I've seen that on our website. I'm sure they do demos. I don't know if they demo, do demos for lower price customers, but you know, also not all customers want demos. So the your competitors do it argument only applies to people who are actively looking for a demo as, as the way they like to buy things, which of course the whole idea of staff for people is that they love that they don't have to do a demo and they can just check yeah. it out themselves and buy it. Again, I find myself on the same side as you. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of, yeah, but types of comments. It's like, but that's a stupid one. But the, the when your customers are paying, in, in Medegas case, $49 a month, it is hard to mm-hmm. make the, the costs, justify the costs of uh, demo calls. So again, I agree. What about this one? Um, demos are a, often turn into one-on-one conversations, and hence they're a great way to learn more about what your customers actually want that they're not going to tell you via email. I think that is very true. And I think that is a a huge value of doing demos is getting to talk to people, you know, getting to ask further questions. I would say, though, if that's the value, then be clear that that's why you're doing them, right? Because there's a big difference between being like, this is my customer acquisition strategy is I'm going to get leads and do demos and then have customers. That's very different from I'm going to do, you know, five demos a month, 10 or whatever, one a week, whatever it is, to specifically learn more about my customers. I think that's the big difference is if you're doing it to learn more, you're not going to say that's my core strategy for getting customers, right? So, And I do think that I have missed out on some of that data. And honestly, another reason for that, I know this sounds silly, but is time zone stuff. The vast majority of our customers are in America. I work in the morning in the UK, which is zero overlap with the US time. So honestly, in a perfect world, I'm sure I would have better and more information if I did a few one-on-ones. And I don't think there would be anything wrong with that. Um, At this point, I am doing all the customer service myself. So I do... That helps me stay connected to being able to chat with customers and and hear about how customers are using the tool and, and what they want. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been doing support? Do you do it via email or chat, by the way? Yeah, email, yeah. Okay, do you ever get in a situation where you actually want to say to the customer, hey, let's get on a call and I can explain this to you better or demo it to you? Do you ever do that? No, I've had customers ask for demos or to get on calls and I just say we're small and we don't have the bandwidth. We're not, we're not able to offer that. 
So if I'm feeling like, oh, this would just be so much easier if we could get on a call. One, it would be easier if I could just pick up the phone and contact that person at that moment. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. that's not the case, right? We're going to be emailing back and forth set up a time. I do use a lot of screenshots and videos in my customer support. So especially if it's, you know, paper bell, we have scheduling. So like someone asked a question about basically you're asking how time zones work, which is a very complicated topic, you know? So I find myself emailing her and I'm like, you know what? This is going to be a lot easier to explain if I get on a video and I make a video for her kind of explaining Mm -hmm. the overall concept. So I would say that's kind of my little hack when you're feeling like you need to get on the phone with someone, that might be when it's time to go to making a video for them instead. And once you've made that video, is it you throw it away or you'll try to reuse it in other ways? I haven't reused them because I do, for better or for worse, I make it just for that person, which the upside is I think it's going to be a much better video because I'm like, hey, Deborah, like I'm in your account. Here's what I'm seeing here, you know, so it's going to be better for them, but it makes it not so useful for repurposing. Okay. Deborah, why did you pick the name Deborah? Oh, because we have a customer <laughs> named Deborah that, that, that I email with regularly. So I'm thinking of oh, I thought it was like an Edgar or something. Like, <laughs> this is what you call your prototypical customer. <laughs> I mean, it's not a bad thing to do. For some reason, I had the name Janine in my mind, and I have no idea why I was thinking, hi, Janine, here I am doing this video to explain. <laughs> Here's another reason why some people say you should do one-on-one demos. The founders enjoy them. They actually enjoy the chance to chat with potential customers, mm-hmm. the, especially if they're working from home or uh, alone in an office. Hey, that's not me. I do not enjoy chatting with a potential customer, but people do. Mm-hmm. What would you mm-hmm. say about that? If people enjoy it, should they be doing it? Yeah. I mean, I think, one, this is, again, the beauty of bootstrapping is that you get to decide all these details of how your business works, right? So mm-hmm. if, if you love chatting with customers, also if you're good at it, because another thing we haven't talked about yet is I consider myself a really strong marketer, terrible at sales. Like these are not the same skill at all. And I realized I was terrible at sales the other day because I did have a call with someone who was interested in um, partnering with a business. And he said, what, oh, he said, what makes Paperbell indispensable? And when I hear questions like this, my brain is like, well, I mean, it's not indispensable. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, you can make do without it, you know? And I think this is, for some reason, if I'm writing marketing copy, I'm able to like turn on this like passion of like, this is going to change your life. This is going to be amazing. If I'm talking to someone one-on-one, I'm kind of like, Okay, Laura, I don't think you should be talking to customers anymore. I think it's definitely <laughs> a bad thing. But actually, seriously, I think some customers would actually respect you saying, look, our product's not going to change your life. It's got this uh, marginal improvement to what you do because that's the reality uh, of our products, most products. They don't change anybody's life. They just yeah, they, they make your life marginally easier. Right. But I just feel like someone who's a better salesperson would be able to be honest and, yeah. you know, maybe have a little more excitement in how they <laughs> explain that. A note to self, do not interview Laura again about how to do sales. Yeah. Right. Um, Don't have to for that show. Actually, we share that thing that about not feeling very good at sales. The difference is I also don't feel like I'm very good at marketing. Uh-huh. <laughs> and acknowledging that about myself actually changed things a lot because then I could put mm. marketing in the hands of somebody who actually doesn't does do it much better. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, going back to, you know, people that love doing demos, I think the only thing you have to look out for is 
is, is that the way that your business is going to grow? So for a lot of businesses, the answer is yes. Like if yeah. you serve enterprise customers, if your mm-hmm. business is all about revenue expansion and maybe they start out small, but then you keep working with the customers and, and grow and grow the money that they're paying you. Obviously, there's a lot of SaaSes out there that are sales-driven SaaSes. So in those cases, yeah, it'll often make sense for the founder to be doing the sales at the beginning. You know, on, Later, they might hire a larger team. But for my businesses, I've known that sales is not going to be... Well, for us, there's no sales. We've never had any sales teams at all. We've always been entirely self-serve. So if you know that that's your business too, or even that a large percentage is going to be self-serve, I think the big thing that you have to be really careful of is maybe you spend the first six months, the first year doing all these sales demos, and then you kind of put your head back up and look around and you're like, we haven't done any content marketing work. We haven't done any SEO work. We haven't figured out any ads. Like you haven't done any work on these more scalable channels for customer acquisition. That's the danger. I I think so too. I think it's really good just to let things build up very slowly because they do build up very slowly, but it also involves you paying attention to things, these things, Mm -hmm. the marketing Mm -hmm. content. I'm in a bit of a, a decision point that I'm having a lot of trouble making at the moment. We're, We've started running some Google ads for feature upvote, and that has got us um, potential customers who are bigger and who expect mm-hmm. to go through sales calls and mm-hmm. want things like security audits from a third parties and custom legals and whatever. And of course, they want to want to talk. Now, these are people who will pay $500 a month as opposed mm-hmm. to our $50 a month. And I'm trying to decide. I know this is probably the path of high profitability, but it just... Mm-hmm. It's not the business I want, and I'm trying to mm. reconcile that in, inside myself. Have you had to make that type of um, internal struggle too? We have. We have. So for us at Meet Edgar, it's really about agencies. That would be a kind of obvious path for us. And we do have some agencies that use us, even though we haven't built any agency functionality. They just they just kind of hack it, you know, and and make it work. I also just felt like that's not the business that I want to build. We love entrepreneurs. We love top entrepreneurs. Agencies, yeah, it's a whole other sales path. It's a uh, also notoriously difficult customer. I don't know okay. anyone who sells to agencies that says, I love being in the agency world. It's just <laughs> something you hear about a lot. So I think you just kind of have to balance it with... You know, people look at it all different ways. A lot of people would be just like you and I, but then say, okay, so I'll just bring on a person just to manage the agency function of the mm-hmm. business, right? But you just have to know that you can't just sell to enterprise and expect your product not to be affected. There's, mm. there's going to be changes needed in your product as well. And that's where these things, when you're starting out, it sounds like, well, yeah, duh, of course, just do the agency contract without realizing, oh, that agency contract meant that our two-person dev team is now spending 100% of their time serving one client instead of building features for everyone else, right? So I just think you really have to make a really clear plan for what kind of resources are going to go into serving these customers. And then you can decide, is that the resource choice you want to make? And yeah, when you kind of look at 10 years down the road, is that the business you want to build? Maybe it is, because like you said, maybe that will be a way more profitable business. And you're like, I just won't do that side. I'll hire people to do that side and that'll be fine. Those people you hire, they will feel the stress from those enterprise level customers demanding their their feature requests or cares to be taken care of. And that will then be passed through to you because 
you mean you don't like having a happy unhappy employee who right. has to deal with all this pressure and has to keep saying no to people yeah. and i think it's also worth bringing up that again you get to do this however works for you yeah. so you are allowed yeah. to say to your large customers just so you know we work a little bit different than a lot of companies we don't do any custom development work so i, I need to let you know up front that there won't be any custom features created for you are you okay with that right like we we yeah. all get to make these choices so i also think it's important that you don't want to just assume that you have to do things the way everyone else does or you can say hey we're happy to take you on as a customer we don't really do a one-on-one sales process we make it really easy for you here's the page sign up when you want when you're ready let us know if you have any questions you know you're allowed to do that yeah, that's brilliant. I think I need to put this up on my wall in a big banner. You, you you are allowed to do this the way you want to do it. You don't just yeah. have to do things because that's how other people do it. Right. Uh, that's great. Even other bootstrappers, you know, just because other bootstrappers do it a particular way doesn't mean you want to. And mm-hmm. conversely, there might be people listening and saying, but I'm a bootstrapper and I want to serve enterprises. I want to yeah. charge $500 a month, $1,000 a month. I want six-month, 12-month uh, sales cycles. Good for you. That's not me. It sounds like it's not you either, Laura. Yeah. You know, I, I had a big realization about this when I, like I said, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. So I was very young, you know, I was 22 years old going to these business conferences and learning all about business. And for some reason, when I was starting out, I was in this world where people would always talk about, I'm sure listeners have had this term, people will say entrepreneurial ADD. And they'll say, oh, I've got entrepreneurial ADD. You know, I've got so many projects going. Like, I can't focus. You know how it is to be an entrepreneur. You have so many crazy ideas all the time. I would hear these things and I would think, that doesn't sound like me at all. I feel like I'm I'm really focused. I feel like I have a really easy time sorting out my ideas and deciding what I want to do next. And it sounds silly, but I genuinely thought, oh, I guess I'm not. They're describing what a real entrepreneur is. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe, maybe I'm not a real entrepreneur. Luckily, I figured out that that was total BS, right? And uh-huh. that we're all different and I'm an entrepreneur too. So I just remember that, you know, whenever you're looking around at what other people are doing, whether it's enterprise sales or demos or whatever it is, don't feel like, oh, I'm I'm doing it the wrong way or I'm I'm not a real business because I'm not doing this or that. You know, we we all get to do things differently. And that's that's the beauty of it to me. I think that's a brilliant note to end our, our conversation on, Laura. So thanks again for being on the show. It was it was awesome. Thank you. Uh, we will, of course, have links in the show notes to your two products, Meet Edgar and Paperbell. Probably there's people who are misunderstanding my accent when I say Paperbell, so we'll have that spelled out for you clearly. <laughs> and I will also link to this Startups for the Rest of Us episode in which Laura talked about her failed venture VC path. Yes. And finally, I'll link to the Business of Software conference that I uh, video talk I mentioned, which I think is well worth all our listeners uh, watching because of the spirited defense you gave of bootstrapping in that. Okay, thanks again, Laura, and bye. Thank you. Bye, everybody. That concludes this episode of Bootstrapped. You can discuss this episode and other bootstrapping topics on our forums at discuss.bootstrapped.fm. Thank you.